0: Hello and welcome to ChickFlix. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and we love movies. Horror movies are the only genre of film where women appear and speak as often as men. If you think that is both very cool and
1: very terrible, we agree and are here to talk about it. Today we are talking about two David Fincher works. The TV show Mindhunter, which he produced and directed four episodes of, and his 2007 movie Zodiac. Fincher is known for how dark his work is. I mean this both thematically and aesthetically. No one ever turns on more than one lamp in a Fincher work. I say this all the time whenever I watch House of Cards, which he produced and directed a little of. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no one in this TV show turns on more than one light. Like, they're in an entire house, they're in the White House, and there's only one lamp on strategically in a corner. It's because America's politics are so... Dark. Yeah. (laughs) uh, David Fincher's oeuvre is long and much celebrated. Seven, Fight Club, The Social Network, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. That sounds like a poem, how I just read it. Wow. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Most of his best and most critically acclaimed movies, with the exception of The Social Network and Benjamin Button, delve into the actions and psychology of deeply disturbed individuals. Wait. Wait. Never mind. The social network does that as well. Put him. Hey, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Mackenzie, what is your favorite David Fincher movie? Um, what do you think about him as a director?
0: Okay, so he's a very bro director in my mind. Um, I think my favorites are definitely *Girl, with Dragon Tattoo*. Is my favorite just because I love Lisbeth Salander. I love the books. Um, mm-hmm.
1: I think Lisbeth's
0: like a great character. She's such a badass. And yes. I love Gone Girl as well. Definitely, I like those movies more than his like grungy, dark Fight Club 7 movies. I, I feel like those are definitely more bro-y. He's interesting
1: because I think overall his works have like a cohesive through line in the, the stories that um, he chooses to focus on. But stylistically, I think he's, like, grown and developed a lot in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were saying, like, Seven and Fight Club are kind of, like, grimy, gritty, almost like bar fights of a movie. Yeah. But um, his latter work is more focused, clinical, um, really smooth and stylistic. Or the style is just a little more noticeable than perhaps... Um, some of his earlier stuff Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this before, but he has really gravitated into a certain palette of colors that I Mm -hmm. really think define his work as well. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, in both of the things we're talking about today are set in the seventies and he just is like there in dark Browns, dark
0: blues, uh, the occasional like like, orange to really, yeah. Sepia antique. It's like the Instagram filter i don't know their names but one of those (laughs) and yeah
1: and um he definitely i do always feel like i have some reservation about watching and enjoying his things just because of his he he, to me has such a reputation of a director that like men love like Mm -hmm. unreservedly love do not critique in any real way like Mm -hmm. are like he's one of the the like male directors that i think his has a fan base that is, like, pretty slavishly devoted to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like, I follow a few film Twitters that every day they will post, like, a fan video of, like, how David Fincher... What?
0: ...uses the camera to do a weird thing that's amazing. Yeah. That's just, like, it's, like, every high school boyfriend. If you were ever a boyfriend in high school, your favorite movie was Fight Club. Like... That's, That's how true. I think of it. It's just like <laughs> That's teenage very, very boys' true. favorite movie.
1: <laughs> I definitely liked Fight Club in high school. Me I too. I watched the movie, uh, but I can remember having a feminist awakening, probably like my freshman or sophomore year in college. Mm-hmm. I probably also read this on Tumblr, to be fair. That was <laughs> like uh, when you realize like Fight Club is just trading out one shitty version of masculinity for another worse version of masculinity where they punch each other yeah. it's like oh yeah that sucks <laughs> yeah
0: i um, i mean i liked fight yeah i liked fight clubs in high school too but i liked it because my film teacher it was his favorite movie and i had a crush on yeah. him yeah so.
1: that's so funny i had a film teacher who also who was a guy and we only watched war movies in his class what? like exclusive okay so to be fair the class was called uh, history of Film or History and... I can't remember if it was called History of Film. I know. I'm sorry. It was History and Film because that's oh, a big okay. difference between the two things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we watched movies about history, but like literally only movies about that's war. That's so
0: stupid. I, it's, it's, especially really like stupid. historical movies are like whatever most of the I time. I know. It's like,
1: uh, are we going to watch Far and Away, the historical movie where Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise play Irish immigrants and they bone... <laughs> No?
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah We like watched, you know, we at, least, we at least watched like Citizen Kane and.
1: We didn't even fucking the, watch Citizen Kane. The, we the watched basics. the
0: featurettes of Lawrence of Arabia, but never
1: Lawrence what? of Arabia. It was so annoying. Oh my god, it killed me. Um, so,
0: anything else you'd like to say about Fincher before we move on to our first discussion? Uh, I don't think so. I think we could. I think I can intro Mindhunter now. This past fall, Netflix debuted a Fincher-produced television series about an FBI agent named Holden Ford. Set in the late 70s, Mindhunter follows Ford, his partner Bill Tench, and a psychologist they work alongside named Wendy Carr as they set up the earliest iteration of the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit. The show's format, which crosses a Monster of the Week setup with a longer plotline, revolves around Bill and Holden as they interview some of the worst and real serial killers ever known and attempt to solve crimes by applying what they've learned. They often consult Wendy Carr, a closeted lesbian academic who knows more than either of them, and we also become acquainted with the two agents' personal lives. Bill is a father struggling to connect with his distant adopted son and his wife, while Holden is a perhaps a sociopath himself, who is undeserving of his hot and smart girlfriend. Um,
1: listening back to that intro, I was like, kind of laughing at... Um, <laughs> they attempt to solve crimes by applying what they've learned. Cause that reminds me of like all of the TV shows I had to watch with kids. I babysat like <laughs> oh, yeah. a lesson. And then there is like immediately after learning a lesson, there is a problem that can be solved by what they've learned or like, um, blues clues where they're like, <laughs> yeah, like blues where blues. is the clue? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is not necessarily mind hunter. Um, so I remember, so this show came out, uh, in like October or November, and I was really psyched to watch it. I remember watching the trailer and seeing that it was David Fincher and Charlize Theron produced, which is very random. I wonder yeah. how she got involved or if she was ever attached to be. I bet it. they're, like, um, bros. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are, yeah. But, so I watched, and it, it, we both really love true crime and are, um, like, pretty active, I guess, like, fans of true crime. We both listened to My Favorite Murder, um... And other podcasts, there are so many, uh, ones of like varying quality and in- intensity. I read a lot of true crime, um, both books and like longer investigative pieces. So I was like, this is really gonna be my jam. But um after watching the first episode, I had a terrible nightmare. Um and I was really surprised by that because I watched so many horror movies, and like I said, I consume so much true crime in other forms that I was surprised by its effect on me uh, because it was nothing new. And I eventually came to the conclusion um, that the reason why Mindhunter initially disturbed me so much was the lack of um, female perspective in it. Meaning that when we consume true crime podcasts, TV shows, when I read a long book or an article about a serial killer uh, or even watch a slasher movie, there is a point of connection in the perspective of how the story is being told, where I naturally empathize with the victim. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Mindhunter, the setup is basically men in a room talking with other men who superficially are very similar, uh, and they're talking about the terrible things they've done to women. And a woman's perspective or any empathy for the woman is very far removed. Um, And I found that to be really disturbing when I first watched it.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, at least I kind of only listen to my favorite murder. I'm like, that into true crime. Wow. But I love my favorite murder, <laughs> I and I love it because of the hosts, two women. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they kind of validate women's fear of men, almost, like, just in general, I feel like. Because mm-hmm. these are things that actually happen to women in your life, I think, like in high school one of my best friends her the thing that she was most afraid of was a white van cuz she thought she was going to be kidnapped and raped and i mean i don't that's a very specific fear but i don't have and i don't have that but i definitely uh. think like all women have been afraid walking down the street yeah. at night by themselves um and i think that a lot of times that fear isn't taken seriously it's kind of like we're making too big a deal out of it or something and i think mm-hmm. hearing other women talk about it And hearing these true stories, we can kind of point to this and say that our fears are justified. And plus, I mean, it builds a community besides just validating our fears. I think it helps us talk with other people and maybe cope with that uh, fear. And I think maybe another reason that Mindhunter was so scary to you, Bridget, Mm -hmm. um, at first was because... I think that in a lot of the true crime stuff that you may consume, at least for My Favorite Murder, which is what I consume, um, we don't hear the killer's perspective at all. And That's in, a very good point. In Mindhunter, they have these performances by uh, pretty much like n- not, no one you would recognize from Hollywood, sure. really. Um Per, uh, acting as the serial killers, and their performances are really amazing performances, and they're really disturbing. Um, so I think yeah, maybe like that's that, why. Yeah, because you're like yeah, facing like the, the killer kind mm, of. That's
1: the whole point of the show. Really, is um, this privileging of a violent man's perspective over his victim? Um, and uh, I think there's uh, like two different ways to look at the show. And we'll talk about both of them. Um, and I think the more positive um, uh, way to look at it is that the show is an interrogation of toxic masculinity. If the show is necessarily successful at that, or if it's only kind of crippled by its own perspective in that we follow mostly male characters, um, so their introspection can only be pretty narrow, um, is to be decided uh so holden the character of holden we watch as the show progresses he manifests these characteristics that are very similar to the men he is interviewing them um he does things that i think some people could call sociopathic he has trouble connecting with other people in a genuine way he looks out for himself and not other people um And the character of Bill, his uh, partner, internalizes the exact same... The horrible things they're hearing, Bill internalizes them in a way that I think is much more um, easy to sympathize with and feel sorry for. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see Bill struggling to connect with his wife because he deals with so much horrific shit at work. You can tell he is really upset and uh, alienated by the terrible things he hears when he interviews these serial killers, but Holden just seems to... Thrive upon it and Mm -hmm. grow deeper and deeper into his, like, bad cocoon of repressed male feelings. He
0: definitely, like, eats it up. Yeah. It's just feeding his ego, like, because Mm -hmm. in the beginning he's kind of new on the scene. It's like he has this hot new idea that, like, you need to get behind the psychology of the killers to prevent more killings from happening. and. It's weird to go back to a time when people didn't do that, but they didn't do that at some point, and this is that point. Um, That's an
1: interesting thing they say in the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Holden's talking to another FBI agent at one point, and the FBI agent is like, um, you know, at the turn of the century, I mean, like, the early 1900s, when you found a dead body, you could go, okay, it was, like, either a jilted lover or a jilted business partner, Mm -hmm. and that was basically why people killed each other. And then there came the advent or the the publicized advent of people who do terrible things to strangers without any sort of real understandable rationale. Uh, So we read an article by a writer named Angelica Jade Bastion uh, about the show's relationship with toxic masculinity. And in it, she says, One of the more remarkable decisions by the filmmakers is the bloodless rendering of violence committed by the serial killers who are studied over the course of the 10 episodes. No women screaming in agony, no excruciating flashbacks, no crime scenes marked by spilled intestines, cut jugulars, and the glassy eyes of lifeless victims. The crimes are seen in perfunctory photos the characters mill over when they help local law enforcement or seek to discern the inner workings of a particular killer being interviewed. The camera never stays on them long enough for its gaze to feel exploitative or cruel. If anything, the series is pointedly clinical, using its crime drama trappings to instead cover the horror of misogyny in conversations between the agents and the imprisoned killers they study. What do you think about that?
0: I think that is a um, strong, a strength of the show, that it doesn't Mm -hmm. kind of uh, exploit women's bodies, really, or Mm -hmm. uh, the harm done, the violence done to women's bodies. It only shows us that and like it's said in like little glimpses of the crime photos and i do think that's a strength because i think we are too saturated with that um mm-hmm.
1: I, I totally agree i think it's definitely a merit that we don't actually see any violent acts being committed even though it really is just as disturbing to hear them talked about uh, especially if you have an active imagination yeah um but I thought that was very interesting, and I think that'll be an interesting comparison to Zodiac. Okay, so another interesting thing about the show is we follow this character of Holden Ford, and in his periphery are two female characters who are ostensibly know, who ostensibly know more than he does about psychology. Yes, and yet we are not; they are not the main characters. Holden is the main character.
0: Um, do you want to read the Olivia Cole? So this quote is from Olivia Cole in Bitch Media. We really liked her article as a response to the Bastion one. Um, she says, I can only assume that writer Joe Penhall created Ford with purposeful parallels to the serial killer he profiles. Poor judgment, obsessive, possible mommy issues, problems with boundaries. But unless season two lines up more dominoes relating Holden's white maleness to that of the killers he profiles to make a larger statement about the violent nature of white masculinity in America, there's nothing new to see here, folks. And I think that pretty much sums it up for me. I think maybe it was trying to go for interrogating the like perils and danger of toxic masculinity, but I'm not sure it actually was able to get there. Although the last four minutes of the show, which are my favorite Mm. four minutes, um, kind of do make me curious about where the show will take it. And maybe, like Cole said, in the second season, it might interrogate it more um mm-hmm. i guess should i even describe the four minutes yeah right? yeah do okay yeah so the last so how does the show end the the last four minutes of the show <laughs> spoilers um uh holden the entire show has been kind of treating these serial killers almost as friends uh he has really no boundaries uh, and it's really disturbing to the other people in his life that he has no boundaries, especially his partner, Bill, because he mm. Bill is the one who witnesses Holden crossing all these boundaries. Um, so, basically, Holden has this really comfortable relationship with these monsters, and he doesn't see them as monsters at all, really, I think. And at the end of the show, Holden has basically isolated everyone in his personal life, and Ed Kemper, who plays a probably the most disturbing serial killer that we see. He's certainly featured the most. Um, he was a real-life serial killer who killed about, I think, 10 women, including his mother, who he then sexually assaulted her decapitated head. Um, Woof! Yeah. <laughs> so he's really scary, um, and he's also played by... He, I, well, he is a huge man um, and played by a huge actor as well. Um but at the end of the show, he is in the hospital, I think from an su- attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. And on his emergency contact, he had listed Holden. So Holden is called to the hospital. And Holden, at first, is a little confused as to why he was there. But he goes, he's very curious um, and naive as well. So he goes to the hospital. His guard is down because, like I said, he treats these killers almost like friends. And. Mm-hmm temper finally confronts him and you finally he you see Holden realize how dangerous this man is and how monstrous he is and just how sick he is and Holden basically has a breakdown um and it's really Mm -hmm. terrifying and awesome though
1: (laughs) yeah I mean my one complaint Uh, My chief complaint about the show, really, is that um, they kind of torpedo Holden's character too quickly. We see him at the beginning, and he moves so rapidly towards this, like, being a total dickhead. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. And breaks up with his girlfriend, and is acting out at work, and really, like, endangering the mission, and undermining his colleagues, um and at the end of the series i was kind of like what is redeeming about this character not that characters have to be redeeming Mm -hmm. for us to be interested in them but he's just a total dick yeah um and to the point about uh holden's like white mediocrity um i heard someone say some uh some i heard someone say about mad men once uh they were wondering if the misogyny shown in mad men if it has, if the show is applying a critique to it or a modern perspective, or is it merely just showing it because the sixties had misogyny? Um, and I think that's a really interesting, uh, conversation Mm -hmm. in Mine Hunter. Uh, the team mulls over hiring a black FBI agent to join them. But Wendy Carr says, and we'll talk more about Wendy And I thought it was very telling that they made the Wendy character say this. She says, we can't hire this black person because uh, the serial killers we interview are racist and um, they can't be in the room interviewing a racist serial killer. It'll affect the data or whatever. And I thought this was like the show implicitly being like, we don't have diversity because it was the 70s. That's why. Um, Which is so shitty and uninventive. Uh, and it, it remind it would, it to me would be like if in a World War II movie like Dunkirk, uh, a character turned to another character and said, there are no women in this movie because this is a war movie. You know, uh, and one day I will rant about how Dunkirk Got by people didn't talk about a lack of diversity in Dunkirk or lack of diversity in war movies because they are war mo- are war movies. But we did see women in Dunkirk. There were nurses anyway. That's for another day.
0: Um, yeah. Well, it's just it's like okay, women e- existed. Yeah. Like black people existed. Yeah. So yes. maybe just work oh, harder yes. in 2018 to tell their stories. Yeah. And, and because it's 2018, it's also, not the 70s. David <laughs> Fincher. You already did a whole movie about white
1: guys in the 70s working on serial killer cases. You yep. know how to make it a different or a more compelling story that you haven't told yet, like a black guy in the 70s or a woman in the 70s or a black woman in the 70s. Um and that brings wow. me to the character of Wendy who mm-hmm. is positioned to be way more qualified than Bill or Holden and it's frustrating uh because the show would be completely different if they included even a little more of Wendy's perspective. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah. And what did you think of
0: Holden's girlfriend? Uh I mean, I liked her a lot. I think she was definitely done a service by Holden on mm-hmm. the show. Um She's obviously she's so smart. It's like <laughs> It's like Holden's such a
1: jerk. <laughs> yeah. I liked her character, too. I was, uh, like, ill at ease the whole time because I was like, what are they going to do to this poor girl? Um, (sighs) It is weird that she and the actress Anna Torov who plays Wendy, look exactly the same. They're both Mm -hmm. brunettes with, like, spaced out eyes, deer faces, moonish faces. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, they can't even have diversity in the white women that they cast. Oh, and very skinny. Um mm-hmm. that's so frustrating, uh, and we've talked about this yeah. before. I think we should call it, and other people have probably called it this, but the star wars Star Wars finale yes. I'm gonna work on a better name Star Wars brunette
0: <laughs> <laughs> they all look the same. they look exactly the same. All those star wars actresses like uh, they could they should be related in the universe. And uh, I mix them up, like, as actresses. Like, I can't even, like, keep them apart when they're in separate movies. It's truly crazy
1: and makes me straight. think that someone at Lucasfilm, maybe George Lucas, just has mm-hmm. a total hard-on for white brunette women and will not let go. And with British accents. With British accents, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, one last thing I think I'd like to talk about with Mindhunter that I have... It's both really caught me each time I've watched and it could definitely be just something to confound the audience or a mood setter. But there is a plot line with Wendy where we see her in her new apartment building going uh, downstairs to do laundry. And while she's down there, she hears a cat meowing. And then there's another scene of her hearing the cat meowing and bringing down tuna for it. And so she gets into a habit of feeding it tuna, even though we never see the cat. And this plot line ends with Wendy going down one day and discovering the tuna bowl covered in like flies, meaning the cat didn't get to eat it. Uh, Bugs have taken over and consumed the tuna. Um, And this, it really creeped me out. And maybe that was just the, Mm -hmm. that was the point of it was just to um, add a little more tension to the story concerning Mm -hmm. Wendy's character. And I just wondered if there's a better take on it than that.
0: Well, I think it sucks that she's the only character that has something creepy in your life done to her. Ooh, good point. Uh, besides like holden at the end being confronted by kemper i think it sucks that she's like the one that is shown she's vulnerable yeah yeah uh but i mean i guess it makes sense since she is the only woman and women are more unsafe but um also hot take it could be a metaphor for her being forced to be closeted (laughs) that's a good point
1: um she is shown to to be and
0: she can't in a lesbian
1: relationship uh (laughs) Uh, yeah. And I also read, I think on like Reddit that some people said it's showing that Wendy lives in a building with a kid who's killing cats and showing, exhibiting serial killer behavior, which is an interesting take as well. Um, yes. If not far fetched. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would definitely recommend Mindhunter. I think for people who love true crime, it's like a must watch cause it, it gets to the, the nitty gritty details and psychology, uh, and it's all real Violent offenders like Richard Speck, Ed Kemper, um, they're all real people. Some of them are still alive. I think it's Ed Kemper who does uh, audiobooks now, right? Did what? you hear that? I think they talked no. about that on my favorite murder—that Ed Kemper records audiobooks now in prison. Oh,
0: what and, but the like fuck? he records
1: them for an agency, so you could have listened to an Ed Kemper audiobook and not have known it.
0: Oh my god, Isn't that that's up? crazy! Yeah. Uh. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I would no. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. No one should be paying him for anything. Uh, Jesus yeah. Christ. I know. Um, here's my hot take. The only prisoners should be violent offenders and we should get rid of prisons. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what I have to say at the end of our Mindhunter discussion. Um, I agree. Mackenzie, would your mom like this TV show? Yeah,
0: I think she would, um, because it's not violent. And your mom is That's... a therapist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so my mom is a, psycho- a psychotherapist, so maybe yeah. she would.
1: Uh... <laughs> maybe your mom was like Wendy um, oh, in the God. 80s. Uh, oh, my God. so cute. I think I told my mom to watch this, and... I said it was really disturbing, so maybe she didn't. She does, like, law and order and um, mm-hmm. crime stuff like that. She likes cop movies. But I just don't think this is her particular brand of um, that mm-hmm. kind of story. Yeah. Oh, and I'd like to uh, add... Not- a- what? Sorry, go on. You Say your thing.
0: Well, now that I think about it, I think my mom would like it because she would get into, like, the psychology of things. Mm-hmm. All- and, like, I as, like, I mean, as... It's not like a horror movie with gore, etc. That's which is true. What she can't handle so. That's a
1: good point. Yeah. Um, I just saw this in my notes, and I also wanted to say this: uh, why we're mm-hmm. talking, and this will be um, kind of tie in with our discussion of Zodiac as well. This is a like wide generalization, but I have found in my experience that men and women are very different types of true crime enthusiasts. Uh, I can speak from personal experience and having talked to other women, but I feel like we enjoy true crime or, or are interested in it because it's almost like you're learning survival tips um, mm-hmm. and you're, or you're having your fears confirmed. And a lot of men I've spoken to are, like Holden, just interested in why men do it and maybe what they would have in common with men who could do terrible things, which is a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah, it's definitely creepy, which is why I worry about... Mindhunter not hitting all of the right, as Cole said in her mm-hmm. sandwich media, all the right dominoes. Like I don't think white men watching this are going to necessarily see it as pointing out that toxic masculinities. dangerous. Yeah. I think they'll they could view Holden easily as it like a hero figure.
1: They might have to go a little hard second season to really yeah cast. It. Holden and serial killers in a more negative light. Next up, we're talking about David Fincher's 2007 movie Zodiac, which is a true crime film centered around the titular killer who has captured the imagination and fears of Americans since his killing spree in the 60s and 70s. Based on a book by Robert Graysmith, whom we follow in the film in the form of a bright-eyed Jake Gyllenhaal, Zodiac is primarily a movie about obsessed men. Its plot follows Gyllenhaal as Graysmith, a cartoonist who devotes himself to solving the Zodiac murders, Mark Ruffalo as a detective David Toshi, and Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man as a journalist named Paul Avery,
0: who covers the case. So what do you think of this cast? They're all hotties. Especially, I love Jake John Hall. I think he's so cute. He's he, my, yeah. like my, he's like my favorite actor. <laughs> I love him. Just he kind of has such beautiful big eyes <laughs> and such a kind face.
1: I know. <laughs> uh, uh, like I
0: like I could fantasize about like dating him. But while I think Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. are like hot. I would like marry G.
1: <laughs> That's true. Oh my gosh, my mom and my sister do such a good Mark Ruffalo impersonation, and the key is just not to move your mouth very much when you talk. Like oh, hey, yeah. hey, you know, like not like don't move it very much, and like move your arms a bit too. Uh, that was really good. You can do it too. Thank you. Even that hey, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird that there are two Avengers in this movie, which came out in two thousand seven. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. has so much charisma that he can just do whatever he wants and play the Mm -hmm. exact same character in every movie. He's almost a very old school movie star uh, in that sense, kind of like Cary Grant. You know, like he doesn't have um, to—he's just playing himself. Build the wheel (laughs) in every movie and every role. You know, um, yeah, it's fine. I accept it.
0: I enjoy it. He is because there are those types of characters for him to play, and he does it perfectly.
1: So, very true. Um, I also really liked that in the Manola Dargis review in the New York Times when this came out in 2007, she described, uh, she said, informed by history and steeped in pulp fiction, Zodiac Stars, A Trio of Beauties, <laughs> which, hell yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, so this definitely, like we were saying earlier, kind of marked a turn for David Fincher. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's a very serious film an oscar contender it's two hours and 37 minutes long uh and i i think it kind of um begins a series of films he made about uh, like obsessed people and the psychology of mm-hmm. obsession i think an interesting comparison to make with mindhunter is the female characters uh, in both works are, are on the periphery. And Mm -hmm. the male character's obsession ruins his relationship with his wife or girlfriend, as it does in Zodiac and Mindhunter. Um, And it's very hard not to read that as something autobiographical that David Fincher has returned to um, numerous times as a man's obsession uh, ruining his personal life or his his ability to have a, a life with a woman.
0: Yeah, I wonder... I wonder about that. I don't know anything about his personal life, but... I
1: know that he's divorced um, and remarried, but I also know that... This is so creepy. I was looking him up the other day because I was trying to find a good profile to read on him, and I saw that he Mm -hmm. had a daughter with a supermodel in the 90s. So I Googled his daughter, and I found her LinkedIn, and she's a psychology student.
0: (gasps) Wow. It all
1: connects. I know. She's, like, getting her PhD in psychology, so maybe she'll be a consultant on his movies.
0: Yeah, but my my thought is maybe like his daughter growing up and him like actually being married to someone that he likes is mm. maybe why he's making things that are like he's, he's doing a, as for a father women. of
1: daughters uh yeah. work.
0: I know. I roll like you I don't know. Do the work by yourself. <laughs> like yeah. but
1: this movie um, is almost difficult to talk about cuz it's just good across the board. Um yeah. It's based on a true story, so it's not like we can really pick apart the plot um
0: mm-hmm. i think uh, i mean as a f- like comparison to mind hunter it's interesting because zodiac is very fact-based while and doesn't really go into the psychology behind mm-hmm. uh the motivations of the killer but mind hunter is uh all about the psychology mm-hmm. um that's a very good point. I think Manola
1: Dargis says something similar in her review. That's uh, what she says. Uh, how yeah. striking it's, it yes. is that these they're 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 men obsessed with finding the Zodiac, but they're really not at this point yet of uh, touching upon like why he did it. Like I can remember one scene mm-hmm. where they point out, "Oh, he always kills the woman, but sometimes the man escapes alive," and that's mm-hmm. just like the barest hint of um, delving deeper into this man's disturbed mind and why he does yeah. what he does. Um, but I. I I, I think it's, you know, it's it's a topic and a subject that could be delved for a very long time, um, why men do terrible things. Okay, so Mackenzie, overall, what did you think
0: of Zodiac? I really like it. I mean, it's just, it's a really good movie. It's definitely really watchable, even though it's very long. Um, it has good pacing. All the characters are great. Jake Gyllenhaal could watch that little, little guy <laughs> for, for hours. <laughs> um he's actually not very little uh
1: he's shout out to the podcast seven? um fuck what's that podcast called the mystery show where they do a whole yes. episode on jake Hall's height if That's you haven't funny. listened to it yet it's amazing it's an amazing so piece good. of investigative journalism it is <gasps> and it makes him so
0: lovable too
1: <laughs> I, know. I know jake Hall come on the show if we needed
0: any more reason to love him like <laughs> true
1: Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's a very watchable movie. It's very good across the board. The performances are amazing. Uh, Fincher is so good at what he does. He's so technically, like, brilliant and competent. Um, I'm just wary of him and the hero worship he receives, which isn't really his fault, but whatever. Um, well, yeah. Speaking of which, this, uh, article came out in Variety today. It is called... Movie critics are mostly white men, study shows, to no one's surprise. Uh, but the numbers that they uh, bring up are really horrifying and really upsetting. Um, yeah. White critics wrote 82% of the reviews of the top 100 grossing films of last year. U.S. consensus data finds that individuals from this group compromised nearly... Oh, I'm sorry... The study notes that this doesn't reflect the representations of ethnic and racial groups in society. U.S. Census data finds that individuals from these groups compromise nearly 39% of the population. So obviously that is just so skewed towards white people. Um, mm-hmm. Just over 20% of the reviews evaluated were written by women, uh, and nearly 78% of the criticism surveyed came from men.
0: Again. It sucks. I mean, because we talked about this in The Love Witch, sort of, um, yeah. how... Just having a woman's perspective makes things so different. And I mean, listening to, it, you really have to work hard to seek out w- w- reviews by women or people of color. And meanwhile, like every white guy with a beanie. <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
1: Wait, this is <coughs> an moment to bring up. I remember looking up the critic who ruined Ladybird's Perfect Store. Score on Rotten Tomatoes, and he was literally a white guy in a fedora. Yes, I looked him up on <gasps> Twitter. I think I took a screenshot of him too, because it just, I, the joke like wrote itself. Um, <gasps> oh my god. And yeah, it's unfortunate because I do think a large, I think I read this somewhere, I don't have it off the top of my head, that uh, movie audiences are predominantly female. I'm not sure of the mm-hmm. ethnic uh, like ratio of people who attend the movies, mm-hmm. but clearly with the success of Black Panther and other films, um, like diversity is profitable, diversity makes sense from a story perspective there's really no reason to do it, not to do it um, yeah. and it just bums me out to think of people who Google like Girls Trip or Wonder Woman and they see a score that is like on Rotten Tomatoes or the very first thing they look up uh, when they punch it into Google that is just not representative of people who watch movies um, and yeah. their opinions and their like, lived experiences that inform their opinions and that's a mm-hmm. fucking bummer
0: Yeah, and I have noticed that, like, as far as listening to film-related podcasts, it's... I mean, there are a few that I listen to, like, Film Spotting SVU and uh, Mm -hmm. The Next Picture Show that do have regular women hosts, but at the same time, it feels like they almost have to, like, skirt around feminism sometimes because they're like, oh, we don't want to go there. Or especially, like, on, like, podcasts where it's just male reviewers, they are... They're like, we don't want to go into, like, if it's feminist or not. Or, like, we're not going to talk about that. I feel and like I've like like, we'll literally say that.
1: heard the film spotting guy say that
0: before. They, that's what I was talking about. I didn't want to, like, say that. <laughs> Calling but, you out. I feel yeah, like their names are Josh like, and Dan, but. Yeah. <laughs> Adam
1: and Josh. <laughs> okay, okay so I am 50% correct. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah, it's, like, that's what I was like, no, please. Like, that's what's interesting me and other women like we want to hear you talk about the f- women in the film and yeah. like how they're treated and interrogate what that means this makes me think
1: of this segment seth myers does who is a white male boss uh for all intents and purposes um of his own tv show and occasionally he will have a segment called jokes seth can't tell where he'll bring out his uh black or female writers i i mean like i think that is one uh other than just like fucking hiring white, uh, like women and, uh, people of color on your shows or to write your columns. Um, I think this is one small bandaid that if you are a white guy with a, like, and who, like a film spotting podcast oh, yeah. host, like if you don't fucking know what to say about the feminist themes in a movie, like have a woman on your show as a guest and ask her about, yeah. them. not to make yeah, someone a token sure. woman or token person of color, woman of color but like i don't know learn ask questions be curious uh yeah
0: read a fucking book read a book Um, as amina would say that's true Read a book read a book (laughs) all right um what did you love this week after we
1: have ranted about murder and men for Um, a while
0: what i loved was that i just bought a plane ticket to see you that is such a (laughs)
1: good thing to say (laughs) that's awesome very excited Um, that is my thing as well but pop culture wise what did you love this week
0: okay um uh, i kind of had a shitty week um no what made it better uh, i had a milkshake that helped oh yes milkshake Uh, but like literally nothing was helping so no i'm so sorry Um, uh, I did start a new Korean drama. What's Not it called? I like, always talk about Korean dramas, but they always pick me up, so. <laughs> um, it's called Descendants of the Sun. It's on Netflix. It's about a Korean soldier who goes to a made up country called Rook. and he's stationed there with a doctor, woman, They are romantically involved. We'll see where it goes. Wow, it sounds good. good. It's kind of hot. It's more adult, less comedic than some of the other ones, which I'm like not sure about because I love the comedy in in them. So,
1: well, please keep us updated and tell us uh, how you're finding it as you continue to watch. Okay. What about
0: you, Bridget? What did you look?
1: Um, I'm trying to think of stuff. uh, Oh, so I recently watched the most recent season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and look. Tina Fey was very formative for my sense of humor in high school. She is like the most problematic white lady that I have a place in my heart for. Uh, She just really fucks up a lot. I was really happy when Unbreakable Kimmy shit first came out because it was like getting my 30 Rock fix. Mm -hmm. But then she just went down these like very like almost obstinate choices by making a white character a Native American, like dumb shit like that. And just kind of stuck by these terrible choices. But I watched the most recent um, season, and in spite of her, like, racism, (laughs) I really do love that the concept of the show is about a woman's PTSD after being kidnapped and raped, but it's a comedy show. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It's such an unusual story to be told on TV. Uh, We need more of those from even... uh, Wider perspectives, and there is what I will specifically recommend from this most recent season is there is an episode. I think it's episode four that is a fake documentary, like a mockumentary about men's rights activists. Oh wow! And it is so funny. Could you watch it? It's it so funny. Alone, you can watch it alone. I had Tim watch it okay. uh, standalone. I might do that. And it's about it's about DJ culture as well. <laughs> so it's just a very good skewering of a lot of men that I hate online right now. Yeah. Um, And so that's what made me happy this week.
0: Mm.
1: Good. We still don't have a sign-off. Maybe our sign-off can be we still don't have a sign-off.
0: Well, our sign-off is like, fuck, it's nothing. It's just bye. (laughs) Okay, uh, talk to you later, Mackenzie. Bye, Bridget. Love you. Bye. (laughs) Love you.